Today's guest is John Brunatovich, who is a husband, father, brother, coach, competitive amateur golfer, entrepreneur, podcast host, keynote speaker, author, and HR expert who is eager to embolden leaders to do better and have fun. Over the last 20 years, John has been an owner of six business ventures and is currently the president of Willroy, which is a staffing and consulting firm dedicated to HR and payroll. And ultimately, John's passion is transforming purpose-driven organizations to meet their full potential and ensure that they find, develop, and empower the best talent. So John, thank you very much for being on. How are you doing today? Duresco, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. You've prepped me for what we're going to talk about a little bit, but I'm excited to see what we expose and what I can learn and I enjoy the, the, the chance for some fellowship with you and, and to learn from your expertise. Yeah, 100%. I'm uh, I'm excited to dive into this with you. And as I was telling you off air, it's cool to have somebody, you know, with your experience, like six business ventures and all the things that you're doing right now. So I would love actually for you to contextualize, like in your own words, beyond the intro, just like who you are, how you got to doing what you're doing. So the floor is yours for that. Yeah, first and foremost, I you, you went off air. Drasco asked about my background that's on online that may not, if you're listening to the podcast, may not see it. But I was born into a wonderful family. I have had two loving parents who cared about me tremendously, one of the best for me and myself. And the same for my my two brothers and sister, which super excited to continue to have a great relationship with all three of them. Uh, regretfully, my parents passed away in about a 13-month timeline in 19 and 20. And so that particular time in my life galvanized me to reevaluate where I was at and what I was doing personally and professionally. And it helped me to paint this picture in my mind that I've been fortunate to have a lot of great experiences. You mentioned many of them, whether it's speaking, entrepreneurship, golfing, Etc. And I really wanted to look at what I was going to do for the next few years as how do I make an impact? How do I make a, a positive difference in people's lives? And first and foremost, I just try to be as good of a human being as I possibly can be. Now, as a human being, that's hard sometimes because there's a lot of things that get in our way. And the best human being I try to be is to my wife and my two kids. My, my, my family is incredibly important to me. And I put that out there as an important aspect of who I am as an individual. And then inside of my my friend group, I also treat those as family members as well. I've, I've seen that list of friends dwindle over time, not for bad reasons, not for good reasons, just that's what happens in life. I've been told and I'm experiencing firsthand, the older that you get, you look for less but deeper and richer relationships because you end up not having as much time to give to that. So they, those folks are in my family as well care and love for them and treat them the best way I can and try to create memories and fellowship with them. And then last but not least is in my business. I look at my business as a family as well. And team members in all the companies that I have owned or currently owned, I hope would tell you they feel like part of a family in the fellowship and spirit and camaraderie and support that we give each other through good times and bad. And so if you remember me as anything, it's a family person first, I'm really devoted to purpose-driven companies. I'm really devoted to providing unique opportunities to people that are in our organization. And at the same time, I like to have fun. I'm a huge sports nut. My competitive days are gone outside of playing golf, which is really kind of fun. But I'm a huge fan of watching any type of sport, whether it be 
a little league baseball game or all the way to a Super Bowl event, which I've I've been to both of those, fortunately. But that's me in a nutshell, Drasco, and, and appreciate again the chance to share my story and, and and expose some of my authenticity in our conversation. Love it. And I mean, I, I know uh you mentioned like for the people that can see your background, uh, which you know, this is on, on YouTube, so you can check it out then. But what was coming up for me as you were sharing all of that is so your background is basically a painting that that your mom did um and i know i can't see the full thing but the parts that i can see is all these like colors kind of melding all together like a kind of tapestry uh is the part that that comes to mind and when you're describing your wealth of experience and your values and and what you stand for it's like the word that comes out for me is like tapestry that there's so many different elements, but they all meld into one experience of, of, of who you are and, and how you live your life. So I think it's a beautiful, um, you know, painting both verbally and as far as background is concerned of that. So I think it just worked out really well that that's uh, you know, kind of how we started the conversation and uh, where it's going. So you're w- welcome to add or comment on any of that, if you'd like. Probably makes a ton of sense, Dresco, in the fact that I do have somewhat of a short attention span, probably one of the areas we'll dive into in regards to our conversation today. And I like to have multiple balls in the air. And I I can't say that I juggle all of them perfectly well all the time. But because of my short attention span, I do like to have, I'll call it multiple interest. And I was the, the fabric of who I am. The contextualness of of my being is I can't. There's a lot of different experiences, a lot of different people, a lot of different things that happened in the 49 years prior to today, and certainly it makes me up. And my mom's painting behind me is is an image from the the top of the mountain on your way into Asheville, North Carolina, and it is a wonderful tapestry of colors and images coming down that highway in through the mountains, and one that for me is very personal and has a tremendous amount of meaning to me and reminds me of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And and because my mom made a difference in my life in a very, very positive way. And and I'm reminded by that. And I'm thankful when people like you notice it and recognize it. And we talk about it because it it brings back those great memories for me as well. Love it. Well, I'm honored to have been able to you know, contribute one little note uh, in in that whole thing. So yeah, that that's amazing on, on my end. And since you mentioned it, um, bringing up the short attention span and kind of things you'd like to dive into. So why don't we just kind of segue right away into that and you let me know what are the top challenges or or problems that you are facing right now? Yeah, I I definitely, that's a holistic one for me. Universal happens to me all the time. One that I don't want to say I fight, but I'm incredibly aware of how my brain works. I am not the greatest person for an all-day training to be one of your students, especially if you're requiring me to sit in a chair for eight hours straight. That's not great for me. I struggled with that in grade school, middle school, high school, college. It was just hard to sit still and learn in that capacity. Although I did it because I had to, and it was I was competitive and wanted to get good grades. I knew that was part of the equation. That that part's holistic, I would say. The the other the other thing that I've I really challenge myself on is being strategic and creating clarity for not only myself, but for my firm or my, my companies. I I notice at times when my organizations end up heading in a path that maybe wasn't intended, 
I always look at myself first. I don't blame executives on my team. I don't blame the people that are doing the work. I don't blame customers or partners or anyone else. I look to say, what did I not do correctly there to make it clear what our strategy was, how we were going to go about trying to get there, and what that process is about doing that and creating accountability around it. I, I always challenge myself with that. And I would say th those things, the, the strategy, the clarity, the mindfulness of staying present in regards to those, those multiple hats, those, those things stand out to me the most that are, I'll call it pretty consistent things that I'm really aware of to work on in, in that regard. Okay. Got it. So I think first, right off the bat, like you do have a lot of clarity around what, what the pattern is. So Okay, I have to be more clear. I take responsibility with regards to anything that happens. It's not like a blame game for my team. I know that my attention span works in a particular way and I've navigated how to optimize for that. So given all of those, actually, sorry, one thing first, you mentioned mindfulness of staying present, uh, kind of when you're balancing all of these, like wearing all of these hats. So what does that actually mean for you personally? I heard, I think it was Oprah that made the comment to always make sure you are where your feet are. And that that figurative and literal sense of, if I'm in a conversation with an employee, make sure that I'm there, not worrying about what my next meeting is. If I'm in this conversation with you, Drasco, I can't be concerned about the upcoming next meeting that's on my agenda. And if I'm with my kids or if I'm with a customer, having that same mindset and having a short attention span can cause you for me at times to get easily bored in discussions or things that can can prevent me from having the opportunity to be present with people and i i, I am very very self-aware of that and i actually have a coach that i talk with about that quite a bit and it's just more or less understanding the triggers for me that caused me to reach that level of distraction and also to be honest and candid with people to, to cut off a discussion or to take a pause or to apologize in the sense of it, because I don't want to be as an example, if I was on the show to be distracted by my phone, which I can't even find it at this time, because I'm trying to be present. If I was always looking at that or typing on my keypad, looking the other way, I've gotten that feedback before. And I know what that feels like when someone does it to me. And I don't want to, in my particular case, do that to someone else. And having that awareness is important. Also having people that are willing to tell you when you're doing it and not being afraid of the outcome that I'm going to tell the owner of our firm that he's not paying attention to me and he's going to slap me on the wrist. I would do the exact opposite. I would thank them. I would be appreciative. I'd apologize. And if I needed to, I'd say, you know, this is a really bad time for me. I'm not in the right headspace for this. Can we reschedule this conversation? That's what I've evolved into where before when I wasn't aware of all those things or I was fighting that off, so to speak, I could be combative. I could be distracted. I could be a number of things that were not productive and helpful and supportive. And as the CEO of several companies, I am hyper aware of the influence and I, I don't I don't want to use the word importance, but that's the only word that comes to mind right now of where I'm at and how people view me and the exchanges and interactions that we have. And I, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they don't have my full attention. And if they don't, 
we need to talk about why. And so we can find another time that would work out better or dialogue through that. Got it. So what I would say, just kind of listening to that, number one, the, the humility of it, I think is, is a beautiful thing of like, no, like I, I want the feedback to know if and when I'm making people feel a particular way or, or when this thing that I'm working on isn't actually working out. So that's a beautiful, beautiful quality. Goes right in line with the self-awareness because you know you can't be self-aware or rather you can't be uh, humble and not be self-aware as well. And given all of that, like it sounds very much like you are taking very active steps to ensure that you optimize for the way that your brain works, right? The, has this tendency, I know how to work around it, still get the things done, make sure that the relationships around me are taken care of and people feel respected, which I think is awesome. And what then in your words is the problem if this is something you're taking care of already? Yeah, I, th I think for me, the reason why I'm so incredibly mindful of it is that I want to win. I want to do things well. I want to be successful in my life. That is part of who I am. I'm incredibly competitive, whether it's golf or watching sports or playing a game of pickup basketball, or even a monopoly game with my daughter, God love Mallory for enduring through some of my competitiveness in a board game. And in that, I realize that my interactions and exchanges with people in, in any role that I would have, but especially as the founder and leader of those companies is really, really, really critical to the success of our business and getting people aligned as well as getting them comfortable to share things with me as the CEO. And to, to me, that 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 is how I look at this. That is where I became hyper aware of it. And another aspect of that is I want to create a safe place to hold other people accountable. And I don't feel like I can do that well if I'm not willing to be held accountable from them with them in those exchanges. And at the same time, I want to be clear and direct and concise. It's a fine line, Drasco, of, of doing all that. I don't want to be a bang my hand on the desk type of leader. I don't want to also be so democratic that I have to get everyone's opinion and then try to create consensus on every single decision. I'm trying to create a balance of treating people like I'd want to be treated and then being really strategic and clear about here's where we're going. And if I'm wrong, let's figure that out together. And I'll take responsibility for it all day long. But at the same time, I want to make sure that that we're we're giving people chances in in the midst of that to to make their own failures, to learn from those experiences, and to get better as a result. And to me, that's that's the trick and the thing that I'm hyper aware of and and trying to be an effective as effective a leader as I possibly can be. Yeah, I think that shines through without a question for myself and for anybody else listening. And what I find interesting is that. So basically ask you, okay, like, well, this sounds like you're taking active steps to ensure that that happens. And what's the actual problem, right? And where your brain went to was basically giving a deeper rundown of the, the values and the reasons why you're taking active steps towards this. So put it like another way, like, is this actually a problem if you are actively taking steps to solve it? Or is this something else.
Well, if I if I designate it as a problem, no, I I don't necessarily think there's water running out of the pipe that I have a, a large pinhole in in that, so to speak. Where I'm really at is trying to fine tune and I, I won't say the word perfect, but I think I just did get as close to it as I can possibly be at it and create consistency in my form so that when people interact with me, they understand what they're getting. And in, in regards to the, the problems that we're facing as a result of that is because of my short attention span, I can be distracted by business elements. Or I've, I've heard many a times some leaders tell their CEOs, don't go to that, that seminar or conference because you're going to come back and we're going to shift our entire focus to whatever that thought leader told you you should focus on. And then six months later, they redirect. I am continuously trying to get better. And, and the problem with that for me is I don't, I, I can't be complacent. I don't physically have the capability of sitting idle to let things happen. And I feel like as a result of that is why I write a book or I do keynote speaking, or I have a podcast, or I have a, a number of other interests in my business, other businesses, and those that may work in one firm of mine versus the other, maybe wonder, is he all in here? Is he giving his full effort to us 100% of the time? And I don't, I don't see that as a problem today, but I'm the one doing it. I'm not the one sitting in their their seat, Dresco. And I feel like from my perspective, again, I go back to how can I be as good of a person as I can? How can I make a positive impact? And how can I win? How can I be get that competitive juice that I'm looking for? And I'm, again, I, I'm very fortunate to have, if I was on this show several years ago, I probably have way more problems, real problems to give you. But over time, by having a really clear vision as possible to have a true intention of our business, our purpose, getting the value straight and setting our strategy, it's it's a lot better today. And then hiring people that get all that, that understand it, that that fit into that mindset, not all being the same, but getting where we're going, that has made my life a heck of a lot easier than it was several years ago for sure. Got it. And yeah, that was kind of my impression as well, where it's like, I don't really see this as being like this problem. And I get that sentiment of like, I'm trying to squeeze out the last 10, 5, 1% out of my ability to like, not just make this work, but really to make it work for me. So in that vein, if you looked at this as a gift, like what might be the gift of this quality of how your brain operates? I don't look at it as a gift, but I appreciate you using that term. Well, I, I kind of look at it in this in this respect, and may, maybe this is my my prior years of playing competitive golf, and, and maybe there's some golfers that are out there that can maybe empathize or understand this. My ability to go from shooting an average score of 100 to 90 to 80 was fairly easy. And when I say fairly easy, I say that tongue in cheek because I was fortunate to have a pretty decent golf swing. My parents provided the opportunity for me to go play a lot of golf and going from shooting hundred to 80 was easy. Going from 80 to 70 or in the seventies got harder. And then, and then I got into that, I'll call it realm of top 1%, if not more of golfers in the world. If I look, if I, if I looked at the math and then I said to myself, how do I get to be the top 0.1% 
of the golfers in the world? And how do I get to be the top 0.01%? And the list went on. And I built a lot of my work ethic and competitiveness out of that vein. And to me, I'm in that one, two, three percent. How do I get better? And if, for me, for me, the the gift, or 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 maybe some might call the curse, is is that that competitive nature and that lack of complacency. I don't sit around idle very often, if at all. And sometimes, sometimes as a result of having that, I will go to the point where I will then have a crash or some sort of like there'll be days where it'll be eight o'clock in the in, in the evening and my kids will all be scurrying around. I'll be sound asleep on the couch because I hit that moment where da- dad dad needed to take a chill and I'm out. And every once in a while I'll wake up hearing, is he awake yet? And it'll be an hour or two later where I'll, I'll hit that, I'll hit that point. But I think in, in my particular sense, my competitive nature has driven me to the places that I am today. And that has drawn me to be super aware of my emotional intelligence, learning and reading up on that a lot, studying business, studying strategy, the things that I don't do well, I run toward and I don't run away from them. And because I know the more kinks I have in my armor, the less effective I will be. And that goes back to my golf game. If if I wanted to go from division one college scholarship athlete, which was the pinnacle of my golf achievement to a professional golfer that you saw on television, I'd have to make sure that I was effective in my mental game, that I was prepared physically and emotionally. I was also able to drive the ball effectively, hit woods effectively, long irons effectively, mid irons effectively, short irons effectively. Then I was around the green. I had to chip. I had to hit bunkers well. I had to hit long pitches well. And then when I got on the green, I had to be a good lag putter, a good mid-range putter, a good short putter. There's a lot there to perfect. And you cannot be good. You can't be the best at all those. And the way I looked at it is I want to be above average at all of them. And if I was above average at all of them, then my guess is I would be better than most when it came to golf. That's how I look at myself as a CEO and as a leader is – there's a lot of aspects to be effective as a CEO, and I want to be above average at all of them. And I'm maybe too optimistic. Some may say, oh, my God, how arrogant is this guy we're, we're watching or listening to on this show? It's not arrogance. I hope it's not. In my, I, don't, I don't view it that way. It's just how do I, I become my personal best? And you got to do a lot of things really well to be an effective CEO, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm trying to get better at those things every single day, every single moment. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I'll just tell you from the outside looking in, it's like what I hear. And and I hear this often, like, and I know I mentioned like the, the humility of it um, as well. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm like really good, but I, just, I don't want to appear like arrogant or whatever. And my sense of that is always like, if somebody is self-aware and they're demonstrating self-aware qualities of which humility, I would definitely put into it. Like humility to me at the end of the day is a check against the the folly of arrogance, meaning it's in our arrogance where we, where we think we're actually better than we are. So we're disconnected from reality where arrogance really 
irks us or, or works against us. And then, okay, I'm not taking into account how other people perceive it, but a lot of how other people perceive arrogance is oftentimes projection. So that's why I don't want to go into it. So the reason that I bring this up is these times where I'm speaking with very high achieving individuals and they put at least these verbal breaks on their arrogance, oftentimes when we like work together, we unpack certain things. It's actually opening up the doors to the possibility. Like, what if I just embraced this part of myself? Like, what if I embraced not the distortion of my ambition, but like just the, the, the pure ambition that comes from wanting to be better. And I take ownership of it as like, this is just me being me kind of take it or leave it. Like I don't have to do these little justifications of it. And the the reason that I bring that up with you is like when you're speaking, when I asked you, okay, like, well, if this was a gift, like, well, how, how would it look like if it was a gift? And you've actually, in my opinion, completely explained how it is a gift. Like I have a lot of different interests. My brain can hold a lot of different things together. It can make parallels and connections between a lot of the things that I already know. And then one skill set translates to the other and just, just like perpetual improvement machine, which I think is an absolutely beautiful thing that you want to dive into. It's like, if I took away the beliefs that I should be anything other than I'm not, and I fully embrace who I am and the fact that I revel and enjoy this, it cleans up the space to just be like, I don't need extra baggage and nothing else needs to take up this extra mental real estate of like checking to make sure that, you know, it's not. So that's like number one. Then number two, it's like what I hear from you isn't necessarily a focus issue because I feel like you, you're doing everything you can to stay as focused as you can. And it's very hard to get good at the things you are good at if you're not focused to some degree. So I think you're taking the active steps to like on, on whatever your brain decides to go of in certain instances, you you know how to navigate that. To me, it actually sounds like the performance, like improvement is is in the restraint. And what I mean in restraint isn't in pulling yourself back and lowering the bar of your ambition. No, it's actually keeping the bar as high as you want to keep it but ensuring that you are able to be prolific in how you perform. Meaning you're just always checking to make sure that I'm never like blowing myself up so that I have to have these times where I just have to take time off to like rest and recover, but that that's actually built in and there's always a little bit left in the tank so that I can perpetually and continually do this. So I know it's a lot thrown your way. What's landing? What is it? I would say... Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that very much, Dresco. The thing that stands out to me is the older that I've gotten, I do the things in my life that give me juice, that give me energy, that give me positive fuel, so to speak. And I think as I look at the things that I just mentioned, my family, my friends, my business, and my golf, those, those, and and, and now my book that I've, I've worked on, uh, which has been a big part of of who I've become over the last or a lot of my time and effort in that regard. And I really get like juice. I get energy from all those things, my family, my friends. I'm fortunate to, to when I go to work, I enjoy it. I have fun. And I, and for me, I'll, I'll look at golf again as an example. I'm talking to all those people that are maybe listening or watching that hate golf. 
how could you do that? When I go to play golf, it, it is my sanctuary of release because I need to be so incredibly focused on it to, in order to do it well. And those things give me energy and therefore I do them and I like to do them. But when there's something inside of them, as an example, as a CEO, short attention span, need to be more strategic, need to be more clear and concise. I will run toward that example. I'll give I'll give you a for instance in that that happened to me many, many years ago. I used to do a lot of speaking engagements and I was asked to do that by my company. I went and talked to different types of individuals that were referral networks for us. And I went through a unique time. My dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I was probably in my mid mid 30s at the time. And I was in a meeting and I was presenting in a very small group. I'd spoke in front of hundreds of people and I'm in a meeting with my boss and these two colleagues from another company. And I just got word from my dad that his cancer had resurfaced. And I, I was not prepared for that presentation. And then I got that big kick in the, you know, where with it. And I then froze and literally was in that stage. If you've ever seen someone in a presentation, forget their words, forget where they were at. And to the point where I got up and walked out of the room, I had a full panic attack. And I swore as I was in the bathroom, hyperventilating, I'm going to get fired from my job. My boss is here seeing this. And luckily he came in and checked on me and made sure I was okay. And so did the, the my peers that were there, the, the colleagues from that other company. But I left there and said, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to do a presentation ever again. I'm never, I'm never going to, I don't ever want to feel like that again. Well, here I was in a job that part of my job was giving presentations and I avoided it for a number of times. I avoided putting myself in that situation again. Lo and behold, as it turned out, I left that company, not, not for that reason at all, but the timing of it within months, I, I left the company and then I went and worked for uh, an, an entrepreneurial opera. I got more full-time into entrepreneurship and I, the company I worked at, I didn't end up doing any presentations. And so probably four years had gone by from that time to where I did a full-blown presentation. And then I started my firm, Willery, which, which I have named after my kids, Will and Mallory, and we're a staffing and consulting firm that's focused in HR and payroll. I'm saying that to you, not for the plug, but because there was an event that came up called Disrupt HR, which in essence is a bunch of mini TED Talks. And you have five minutes, 20 slides. The slides move every 15 seconds on their own. And my firm had sponsored the one in Cleveland. We actually are the license of the one in Columbus now. And two years into it, on the second edition, I got asked to speak at it. And I said, no, not going to do that. No way. That, that's a, that, that, is, that is a blind spot for me. And then... I realized when I was saying that, that I was never going, if I didn't do this now, I likely was never going to speak again. And I went back to the person and said, Hey, I know I said no, but I'd like to reconsider if you have a space, would you, would you put me in front of that audience? And here I was four years, five years removed from that experience, never having put myself in that situation again. And I knew as the leader of my firm, I had to become more effective at public speaking because the opportunity to connect with 200 people in one hour was a lot easier that way than me spent. How, how much time would I have to spend to connect with 200 people if I was doing it in traditional means, not public speaking? And I prepared my tail off. I, I practiced that presentation, Drasco, more than I practiced any other presentation before, after. 
And I got up there and did my thing. And I had a moment, I had a moment of vaclempness where my voice got a little, you know what? And I just powered through it. And the enthusiasm of that, that accomplishment of being done with it, it wasn't the applause that the, that the people gave me. It was just, I did it. I got over that hump. And for me, it was, it was a very important life lesson that if there's something that is part of the job that I need to do well, and I don't do it well, and I'm afraid of it, then I probably can't do that job. And I need, I need to, at the very least, run toward that and do my absolute best at it that I can. Doesn't mean I'm going to be a world-class keynote speaker and someone that's going to get $30,000 per presentation bookings. That wasn't my, my, my path. It was more my personal interest of getting over that hurdle. And to me, that became a foundation for other things that came into my life that I was afraid of or concerned with. At case in point, I never read a book from the time I was 18 till I was 47, 46. And here I am writing a book. And I realized through therapy that I was had this imposter syndrome. Why are you writing a book? Well, partially because I wanted to and I was competitive and I saw other people but I also saw this avenue that I need to get be become a better reader. I need to become more studious in that regard. And I challenged myself to write 10,000 words, turned into 20,000, turned into 50, turned into 70,000, turned into a, a published book by a well-known publisher. And it's again, it's just a, a case in point of running toward what you're afraid of. Your, your demons are your demons for a reason. And I just, I'm, I'm so competitive. I don't want them to win. And therefore, I'll pretty much do, I'll make myself feel as uncomfortable as I can be to the point where I have a panic attack or the thought of it to make sure that I did it. I did it. And then once I did it once in that speaking engagement, I've done it a hundred times since. And I've never felt that same way I did when I had that moment, but I'm very aware of it in my preparation so that I am prepared. And that I, I am in a space to do my absolute best. I know it's a long-winded example explanation of uh, hopefully answering your question, but that, that's how I that's how I wanted to respond and that that's where my heart took me. No, absolutely. I think it's a beautiful way to respond because I, I think it just encapsulates exactly the attitude that did get you to to where you're at. And in many ways, it actually highlights something that I do quite a lot of in my own coaching where you kind of have to lean into the, the parts that scare you, right? Like you said, your demons, I didn't want them to win. But I always talk like you have to lean into the, the parts of you that you don't want to look at because generally they are the parts that are wrecking havoc in why you can't do certain things or the results that are showing up in my instance, like the business owners that I work with. So yeah, I love that because it's, it's such a beautiful example of somebody that has taken that attitude and done what he can do to, to get to where he needs to go. So I think as far as like sharing that, it's a beautiful example of what that work can actually lead to and it's a practical example of what it actually looks like. So thank you for uh, for sharing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to add anything to that, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, the one last thing I'll add in that regard is as a result of doing that, it has opened so many doors for me to writing my book, the podcast that I'm on right now, the, the hundred guests I've had on my own show, the introductions and connections that I've made that have made me better and taught me things. And then through my speaking opportunities, just the, I'll just call it the acceleration 
of some of the connections that I've been able to make in, in that regard. And that's my juice. Again, the reason why I'm in the field of HR and my mainstay of my business is I, I love people and I love learning from them and their experiences. And, and I love the idea of people loving what they do. And my goal is how can we help you love what you do at work? That sounds like a really great thing to do every single day. And, and th those things really inspire me. They, they push me through. And, and, but, but as a result of leaning into it, it's opened up so many doors for me. And, and, but the physical, I'm thinking of the physical fact of that locked door that I had to open up the very first time. Oh gosh, did that feel like an exhaustive effort? And I'm so thankful that I did it. And I know in working with my own kids or others that I deal with that maybe have challenges, I, same thing. We, we, it feels like it's best to let that thing, whatever that, that elephant is that's sitting on your chest to win but we we gotta we gotta do our best to try to fight through it and 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 hit it head on, and and that that's 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 been a a really incredible experience in my life to to realize you you can persevere through and and I've been blessed like these are the these these are the kind of I'll call it world class problems that I've had I've been very fortunate to not have some very significant challenging issues I know people deal with in their lives of. Um, you know, assault or challenges in their life of things like they don't have a roof over their head or they don't know where their next meal is. And and I I've been very fortunate in in that sense that those those foundational things, the, those core elements, are there for me. But the things that gnaw at me professionally or personally, I just have that mindset to get after it. Absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, thank you for for sharing all of that because, like I said, I think this is. A different episode that, that I normally do, uh, but I love it because it exemplifies exactly what can happen on the other side of like doing this work. And I know we didn't get into the specifics of that, but you shared your version of it, which is all that's relevant here anyway. And it's like, this is what's on the other side. Like, this is what the fulfillment looks like. This is what the happiness looks like. This is what the attitude looks like. This is what the outlook looks like. And ultimately, this is what the results look like. So thank you uh, for, for showing up in that way. Um, if there's anything else that you wanted to add, I think floor is yours for that. But as far as like on, on my end, um, I think that's uh, kind of the, that, that's all I got for you. Just celebrating you for for sharing it and for doing all the things you do. Yeah, no, I, 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 I certainly want to be sensitive to the purpose of your show and unpacking doing the live coaching in that particular sense. And again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't have problems. I, I, I do, I do have them, and the ones that we talked about are are impactful. The thing that I did learn, maybe the last point I'll make is, if you are in that situation, if you are feeling that despair or you're running through a problem or a challenge or something that's got you stuck, sometimes that can be a real punch to your ego. It can feel, you take that very personally. It can feel that sits on, on my responsibility. And, and as a leader, you have to, you have to portray that when, when there's something going on, you can't be pointing the finger and playing the blame game, I think that that's not really the greatest approach to it. However, when you're stuck in that viewpoint, at least I know when I have been in the past, the best way for me to get out of that, it, it doesn't have to do with attacking these issues, which we talked about before. The very first step is making it bigger than me, 
right now I'm in my own self. I'm in my own head. I'm negotiating with myself about these issues, challenges, problems that I'm having. But then I need perspective to say, well, what problems do I really have? And I look at it and say, it's this is much bigger and broader than me. Is it going to impact my family? Is it impact my friends? Is it impact my network? And if I find myself feeling sorry for myself, and that's maybe the wrong word to use because I know that's a real thing, is how do I go and find someone that's in a situation that's maybe the challenge in that regard much more than I am? And I, I was always told when you find yourself in that spot, go volunteer, go go work somewhere where you're going to run into people that maybe have a unique different set of challenges that you have. And it'll give you perspective. It doesn't mean diminish the challenges or issues that I have as a human being. That's not what I'm getting at. It just gives you that perspective to say, I'm not the only one. People have their own, everybody has their own set of issues and challenges. And I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate the fact that that's okay. And at the same time, then I get into attack mode and there's a problem and how do I get better at it? Love it. Yeah. Uh, I could not agree more. So John, yeah, I think that's actually a good way and a good spot to end. So why don't you just close us off and let everybody know, you know, where to find you, who's the best person to find you. Floor is yours for that. Hey, Andrasco, before I do that, thank you so much for doing this work and continuing on the show. It's, it's really cool to be a small part of it. First and foremost, John Bernadovich, I am a author of an upcoming book called HR Like a Boss. You can find me easiest, easiest by going to hrlikeaboss.com, H-R-L-I-K-E-A-B-O-S-S.com. You can also find me typically on Twitter and LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram if you can spell my last name, B-E-R-N-A-T-O-V-I-C-Z. You can find me on those platforms as well, as well as I have my email on my my logo below, john at willery.com. If you if ever in need, I, I'll just put it simply. If you are having issues with your employees at work, reach out to me. If you're an employee and not engaged at your work, reach out to me and I'd be happy to help the best I can. Awesome. Well, as always, we'll include that uh, in the show notes. But John, thank you very much for coming on and uh, for everybody else listening. We'll see you on the next one.